Hello everyone and welcome to the next episode of the VTX podcast. Here at the Veterinary Thought Exchange we start by asking what are you thinking? And this week we're going to be thinking about all things girl power. So we're joined by Naomi who is a vet but also podcast extraordinaire. And off the back of International Women's Day we're going to be chatting about Naomi's career as a veterinary surgeon, some of the amazing female role models in her life and some of the brilliant and innovative projects that she's working on at the moment. Just to introduce myself, my name is Scott, I'm one of the founders of ETX and I'm a specialist in small animal internal medicine and as always I am joined by one of the most important women in my life, Karen, who is our podcast producer. Right. Got our phones on, um, silent, yes. email, silent. Oh yeah. I've got a new one. Oh, what is it, Shaw? No clicky pens. I love a clicky pen. <laughs> Because I do this. I pull the lid on and off this pink uh, gel pen. Oh my God, Scott, you and I are like kindred spirits. <laughs> you know, that's so funny, Karen, because I was editing myself a couple of weeks ago and I was like, I am the culprit with the clicky pen in the background. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm funny. Are we good to go? We're rolling. Okay. Um. So, Naomi, thanks so much for um coming on the podcast, I think. I keep saying, I talk, I talk about full circle moments like all the time, but this is another one of those moments because we've actually known each other for quite a wee while. Um, and also you were one of the first people that really uh, advised us regarding the podcast and really, I suppose, helped us um, set, set up our journey to, towards creating this podcast. So we're very grateful uh, for that. And so before we kind of delve into the podcast stuff, I don't know if you want to um just tell those listening a little bit about yourself yeah sure scott so um thank you so much for having me on by the way it's such a pleasure to come and chat to you yeah so um you and i did graduate together back in the wee old days of the early 21st century um, <laughs> so, yeah i graduated from edinburgh yeah. with scott and um i i started my career actually working for a charity um so i went off to i decided i didn't want to go straight into practice in the uk so i actually went to the south pacific for six months did you very nice. what yeah that was fun wow. yeah yeah why did you not stay there i don't know <laughs> <laughs> paid anything it was a bit rubbish in that sense oh, um yeah. so yeah okay. I spent my first six months of my career um doing surgery and diving and sailing which was quite fun oh, wow. um wow. and yeah I I definitely took the the slightly uh wiggly track after that because the girl I was there with is now a surgical diplomat <laughs> look where I am um, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I did that and then came back and went into mixed practice. I'm from Cheshire, so I'm from a, like a very strong dairy area, although my family has not actually got a background in farming or anything. But um, I did my dissertation on dairy and I really thought that actually that was what I wanted to go into was actually doing farm work. Um, I'd had some really amazing placements um, in farm practice when I was a student and I did my elective in farm and it was really kind of biased that way. But um, I went into mixed practice because I wasn't just 100% sure to begin with. And I couldn't quite find a job that I wanted when I got back. And somebody I knew was looking for an assistant in a mixed practice. So I went off to Yorkshire and did that for a while. And actually, while I was there, um, I got just more into doing equine work. And I, I had always ridden as a child. I had quite a bad accident when I was a teenager. So I'd sort of been on and off horses in my teenage years. But um I decided then that actually I would potentially pursue more of an equine track than actually going into farm practice. And at that point, um, a bit like I, I've sort of looked back on my life now and I took all these punts with my career where actually I just dived off the deep end without 
any knowledge of what I was doing, which I think is kind of um, a bit of a metaphor for my life, really. And a bit like going to the South Pacific, I went there on my own. I didn't know anybody. I didn't really know what it was going to be like. Um, I then took a job in Australia in a place where I knew absolutely nobody and I didn't know anything about the place I was going to. Um, but I went to work in a, a big equine hospital over, or a medium-sized equine hospital in the West of Australia. I'd never met my boss or anything. I literally had a phone call with him and then accepted the job and got on a plane on my own. Oh, and, wow. Um, it was just, I mean, it was, yeah, that was the sort of start of my equine career, really. So that was like the intro of uh, all intros, by the way. I know. And, and I do, I love, I always love the intros, Karen, because people are like, I mean, so I started out in, and I'm like, what? Like, what? You're just like, that is. It began in Cheshire and then. That, that is not boring in any way. Anyway, so, okay, so I think we're in Australia now. And that sounds fun. How So how long were you in Australia for? So I was in Australia for two and a half years and it was fun, but I would also say it was really, really hard. Um, yeah. My boss was, um, he was a wonderful man in many ways, but he was, he was a difficult boss. I think it's fair to say. And um, <laughs> somewhat Full disclosure. <laughs> okay. We're being honest here. Yeah, we are. And it was, it was really hard work. I think when you're away from your family, um, yeah. I didn't know anybody and I was really really lucky and I think one of the only reasons I stayed there was um that actually uh, another person from our year at college Ingrid Redmond um turned up in Australia ah. and she turned up in the same practice as me and she became my housemate my workmate basically like my sister and um, oh, we had cool. a couple of years of absolute fun over there so that did work out really really well and I learned loads um mm. it wasn't an official internship but I was essentially a kind of intern yeah. um and lots and lots of uh, racehorses and foals and it's quite I often recommend new graduate equine vets to go to Australia or New Zealand because I do think although the standard of clinical practice is is really good there that you're often allowed to do more than you would be in the UK and we certainly were like really thrown in and it was a good grounding for kind of getting my getting stuff um getting experience Mm. and and particularly with inpatients and hospital side of things so that was really good so what made you what made you come back then what was the catalyst for coming back well it was family really in the end Mm. and friends um I mean I loved Australia and at that stage um (laughs) I did have an Australian boyfriend who I brought back with me and um but uh, I thought we would I, we the plan was to end up in Australia and then obviously that didn't work out but um yeah <laughs> it was not around anymore <laughs> <laughs> no I'm married to some I'm married to a nice English oh, person good. Um, <laughs> so, good. Yep. full circle so, <laughs> it's a it's a very large circle yeah um so, but yeah I think it got to the stage where I was having a, a total ball but like a lot of my friends and vet friends and and there was also kind of half of Edinburgh Medical School living in Perth at that time and I'd had medical housemates at uni Mm. so some of my friends were there and and everybody was kind of migrating back slowly like we were kind of 20 probably like 26 27 by then and people were just kind of slowly coming back and um I just kind of felt that the time was right to come back to the UK Mm. and and pick up my career here and and I was really fortunate when I got back actually because I just had a few locums to begin with. I did a couple of long-term locums, and one of which was at Donington Grove, which is a really good um, equine hospital in Newbury, one of the kind of best and biggest clinics in the country. And I just had great experiences there. And that, when I came back, gave me a brilliant foundation um, into equine work over here. And just the contacts I made and the people I met there, really, really supportive. And I was really well mentored and looked after and, and just felt I've got friends for life from that job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people I still speak to several times a week and 
and that has been really brilliant for me um so yeah that was that was that and then I spent the kind of next seven years or six years um in practice in the southeast uh, just in first opinion general practice um I have a sort of interest in orthopedics and sport horses um did a lot of dressage and show jumping three-day eventing and and yeah so that's been kind of my career and then Oh, this is a really long story. Sorry, I'm like wanging on. No. Great length. So interesting. Um, and then eventually a few years ago, we'd been moving around a little bit and I'd worked then in solely racehorse practice for a, for a year wow. with another friend. And we moved to Suffolk for my husband's job. Um, and at that point, this was the kind of crux point of my career, I suppose, was um, that despite everyone telling me there was a recruitment crisis and that I would walk into a job, it was actually really hard to find a job when I went to Suffolk, which I realize sounds mm. ridiculous given that I was working in racing and Newmarket is in Suffolk, but um, it was, I couldn't find a job that I wanted and mm. eventually did a bit more locoming and I picked up a part-time job, which I still do, which is for British horse racing for the, for the BHA. Wow. Um, and so now mm. my job is um, I work on track. Uh, so at the race course um, and mostly around Newmarket in the stables um, doing regulatory work and um, kind of uh, anti-doping work, um, welfare work as well. So yeah, it's a really interesting job. It's really varied and I really like it. And I've sort of, it's not what I would have imagined myself doing. And all, well, on that note then, would you have imagined yourself being uh, the podcast queen? <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely didn't imagine myself being a podcaster either Scott and that all came about at the time when we moved to Suffolk um, I was definitely experiencing a bit of disillusionment with being a vet I think you know a lot of people go through this don't they I know you and I have talked about this at length before and um, I've come out of a job that I loved and gone to a place where again where I didn't know anybody and, and I, I just was a bit dissatisfied and and I just decided to set myself some challenges in my personal life and try and just put my professional life on the back burner a little bit and not worry about it too much so I entered an I entered an ultra marathon and decided to learn how to to podcast so that was what that so in 2018 those were my kind of two I mean uh those were personal goals those were also my goals in 2018 but sadly <laughs> didn't have time sadly I just didn't have time for the ultra marathon <laughs> what's an ultra marathon like oh yeah explain please it was any so an ultra marathon is classifies as anything that's longer than a marathon. Um, this one oh. was <laughs> um, was was say three consecutive days of of running basically. Um, what? Yeah, I know. Mad. And how did that work out for you and your body? Do you know, you great that, actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was a little bit of a broken mess, but I went back to work two days afterwards, and I was absolutely fine. Um, oh, and I was locoming in clinical practice at that stage, actually. So I was back in the practice two days later, and um, yeah, potting, pottering about. So, did you really just wake up one day and be like, "So, podcasts? I'm going to do that." I'd listen. I'd been listening to a lot of podcasts for quite a while. Um, so the first podcast I listened to, like so many other people, was Serial. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think anybody who's listened to Serial and, and was kind of an early adopter of podcasts yeah. will know that that was the one that put podcasts on like most people's radar and it was huge yeah. in the US. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely massive. Karen will know all about that. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was, 
it was so popular and a couple of people have recommended it to me and I was like oh, I just got to get on board and like find out what this podcast malarkey is all about and then I think because I'm an equine vet spending a lot of time in the car you know you have hours and when you're not giving free advice to clients um, there's plenty of time to listen to stuff I was doing a lot of driving and <laughs> so I just got into listening to some other podcasts and found a few other things I was interested in and and then I think when I moved to Suffolk um, I was a part of this kind of bit of a crossroads in my career I just didn't really know what else I wanted to do and um you know it's a bit like a lot of people on their veterinary journeys you look at other people out there and think oh they've got a cool job but I don't really know how to get into that and I just met all these people with amazing sounding careers and I was like I would love to be Mm. an investigative reporter or I would love to be you know a travel journalist or whatever a photographer but I have no idea like how to do those things And so I had this idea then that I would start talking to people with interesting and unusual careers about how they got to where they wanted to go. And that was where the idea for the podcast came from was it was born out of a sense of me not knowing what I wanted to do with my life and and wanting to discuss that with other people. And it's so you're talking about smashing the ceiling. Mm -hmm. Are you? Yeah. Now. Yeah. Okay. so I wanted the reason that I think it's so well timed that we're having this conversation is not just because it's great to talk about you and podcasts, which is brilliant, but actually, correct me if I'm wrong, the the focus on on smashing the ceiling was very much about women. Is that right? It is. So it's interviews with women with unusual and interesting careers. And so that was that podcast started in 2018. And it was I really started that because I just wanted a break from everything veterinary. And I just was looking for an outlet that was my own, something creative, something different. Like I said, an opportunity to learn a new skill. And I I did everything on that from the ground up myself. And it was such a learning curve. I listened back to the first few episodes. The audio quality is abominable. My interviewing is crap, you know, like but it's such a learning experience like everyone starts somewhere and I just kind of got going and again the theme of my life just jumped in with both feet and started without really knowing what I was doing (laughs) booked a plane ticket and went Uh, (laughs) was the was the first episode not with a race some female racing driver is that right yeah it was with a uh, she's a formula formula three driver yeah Yeah. and she was really cool and she was at a she was at a grand prix when she spoke to me and like I went through her press people and it did just really emphasize to me that you can get to these people if if and and that at the time people were so happy to do podcast interviews because Mm. it was so new Mm -hmm. nobody really said no and 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 still people I don't know whether you find this like people rarely say no to you no, mm-hmm. and, and, and are always like, really, no, that always has blown me away. You know, people are always like, are you sure me? And I'm like, yes, you, yes, you're, <laughs> you're really, yes, you're really interesting. Why do you, why, why mm-hmm. is it, it's almost uh, every single person I approach, they're almost surprised, first of all, that you would even, why, you know, and, and, and they always follow up by saying, yeah, but what would I say? And I was like, so just tell me about the South Pacific, like whatever, you know, mm. that thing yeah. that you did, yeah. you know, it's, it, that's how the story always starts just with something random. I yeah. love So there's two things I love about, um, obviously, you know, we're just coming off the back of International Women's Day. As, so I thought this was really well timed from that kind of real amazing kind of empowering female focus. But I love that just that smashing the ceiling it really for me harks back to Hillary Clinton for instance talked a lot about smashing she talks still talks a lot about smashing ceilings um and regardless of whether you like Hillary Clinton or not I think the concept is uh is is a good one where actually there's still a lot of these ceilings whether they're glass or not that need to be kind of um need to be kind of smashed I suppose why did you choose to 
have a podcast with that name and that focus? Yeah, well, very much what you've just said, Scott. I mean, I've been brought up to be a feminist my whole life, and I don't think I would have called it that for a really long time. But I guess the ethos that I was given um, was that as a child, didn't matter that I was a girl, you can do whatever you want. And, you know, I was really fortunate with that. My, my grandmother was a teacher who, when she was married, A, carried on teaching, which was unusual at the time. And then when she had a child, she had six weeks of maternity leave and then went back teaching full time. And again, like most women in the 1950s, when they had a child, gave up work, even if you were a teacher, which was considered to be quite like a family friendly profession. And she was one of my biggest role models growing up. Like she, she died last year at the age of nearly 103. And oh, wow. like, she's wow. an amazing person. She sounds like an absolute legend. Ab- legend. Yeah. Oh, absolute <laughs> legend. Yeah. She was, she, all our friends loved her. She was known as G to everybody. And all our mates used to come around and be like, Oh my God, how's G? Can we come see oh. G? And like all our uni friends knew her. She came to my 21st birthday. Like she was rocking out. It was amazing. And oh. you know, it, she was just, she was an amazing person and I was very lucky to have those role models and my mum the same like she was a teacher too and just like always worked and had her own business and various other bits and pieces and you know those the women in my life were always led me to believe that that my that being a woman was no barrier but I think um as I kind of got into the veterinary world and I and I don't think this is specific to the veterinary world at all incidentally but I think get into the working world I realized that that was actually just a little bit idealistic and and that perhaps the reality was different to my to my somewhat naive notions that I had as a teenager. So my question then is, you know, do you think the veterinary profession is feminist? Oh, where did that come from? Or is that too um, much? Is that too- <laughs> No, it's a really good question. No, 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 not at all. It's a really good question. Um I mean, I suppose um statistically yes you know it's overwhelmingly feminist in the sense that you know the the number of women coming out of vet school is is huge but I think when you start looking at the statistics around people in practice ownership in leadership positions Mm. in positions of power Mm. influence and money the the whilst there may not be majority men the weighting is very wildly different to that which is as those graduating from vet school so you know if you think it's an 80 20 split or 70 30 or whatever we are these days I can guarantee you Mm -hmm. that it's not a 70 30 split of women in the upper echelons of power in the veterinary profession no no and I think that was really the reason for my question because I think you know and I'm you know who am I to talk and I'm you know I've I've got to be careful because I don't want to to misrepresent but I think ultimately I do feel that we're there, there's still a lack of of equality when it comes to sometimes that male female um mm. thing within the profession I don't think that's I think you're absolutely right you know and I feel that as a as a boy you know and and watching sometimes even jokes nowadays uh where you know is there are, are you know are male vets treated different sometimes the young male vets treated different from female and I think the answer is sometimes yes you know and 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 that you know and that's the truth and, it, and it's the sad truth but it is the truth of of this situation yeah and I think interestingly you mentioned you know this week was International Women's Day you know we've obviously mm-hmm. had the very sad events with Sarah Everard as well and you know the the, yeah. um just reflecting I saw a Twitter thread the other day about personal safety and I thought you know I bet you there wouldn't be many professions. And I've had an incident where I had to go to see a male client alone at two o'clock in the morning that I'd never met before mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I arrived mm-hmm. there, there was no electricity. It was pitch black dark. And I, my husband and I laugh about this now. We weren't going out at the time. It was before I met him. I was living alone, 
Nobody knew where I was. And, you know, you think then I put a pair of sharp surgical scissors in my pocket because it was the only thing I could find in the car that I would construe as a weapon because I was that worried about. And actually, this guy was perfectly fine. There was absolutely no threat to the situation whatsoever. And he was really, really nice. It was the situation was no problem. But I had this conscious thought of I am vulnerable. And, you know, that is not a great place to be. And I think now a lot of practices would use answering services, which is great. And, and, you know, utilizing what three words and, and other apps that can help to kind of, you know, tell people where you are. But um, I did, you know, that was probably 10 years ago now. And I still look back on that moment and think nobody should have to fear for their personal safety in that sense. And I don't think a guy would ever have that thought. No, I think God, that's that gave me a little chill there. Actually, when you said that, like I literally took a pair of sharp scissors and thought I should have these in my pocket. Like I think that is that's crazy, and I think that again, it 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 shouldn't. You know, it it takes these tragic events, whether that's you know George Floyd or 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 you know what's happened. You know, with Sarah over these last this last week to kind of highlight these terrible issues. But clearly, there is a massive voice of, of women saying look we just do not feel safe and that that's terrible mm. just we don't feel safe just walking around <laughs> we're just we're just walking around but I think that it's not so you know like obviously as an equine vet I'm going out and about but I'm sure there are countless women in the veterinary profession that have been alone in a practice at night or whatever you know it's not unique to being out and about is it and I just think the more we talk about these experiences and people share their stories it, it lifts the lid and it shines a spotlight on what is quite a dark place and and that's the only way that you can improve and you know this is this is kind of unrelated to lots of other things but I think it's an important thing to discuss Scott and you know it's it's not I don't think it's a particular problem to our profession at all it's a societal thing and but it's an interesting topic you know and just going back to what you were saying about the feminization of the profession and and the kind of way way people are treated I mean you'll know as somebody who parents yourself that parent penalty in in your case is is very real in couples and yet still we know that 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 penalty that occurs with child bearing or rearing is is real and it certainly is present in the veterinary profession and I think that's something that just needs a lot more discussion as well yeah that's it's a, and it's a really interesting discussion where you know in our situation where there is not a female parent but actually it, someone had to bear the female penalty isn't that interesting where there is that feeling that someone has to take on that more female role where they would do this certain thing after they gave birth to a child now we were in a very different position because actually you know we could make choices in a different way and so obviously so can we you know including your grandmother who just was like nope I'm very busy doing this thing I need to go back to work thanks very much you know so obviously there's lots of different circumstances but yeah it's a really interesting discussion and I think something that definitely is an ongoing talking point and and, and, uh, within the profession for sure my point of all of that really in some ways was I think that you're a very you know positive strong female voice and and your voice is then heard through these podcasts which are amazingly inspirational in so many ways so you've you started off with uh, smashing the ceiling and then you obviously have developed borborygmy which is great and a wonderful name tell us about that kind of journey of borborygmy and, and where that's kind of taking you to 
Yeah, and I would actually just signpost that um, if for anyone that's interested in the feminization chat we've just had, there's now a veterinary woman podcast that I've been producing oh, as well. Oh, wow, which is, right. um, Yeah, <laughs> it's like another little recent project. Oh, oh wow. so busy. Yeah. <laughs> that one is, uh, yeah, so that's a, a similar format to Smashing the Ceiling, but it's interviews with women from, specifically from the veterinary profession highlighting wow. um, role models oh, for leadership, gosh. which... Um, yeah, has been great. And and actually that was work very much spearheaded by Liz Barton from Vet Mums who runs Veterinary Woman and she's amazing. So I would definitely credit Liz for her really hard work in that space because she's wow. doing really good work. Barbara Rigby started. Um, so obviously the wonderful Ebony Escalona, who is known to many, 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 many listeners of this podcast, I'm sure. Um, yeah. She is a great example of... Um, a social media friend that has become a friend in real life and I just never used to think that that was possible that you could meet someone no. virtually and and actually become genuine friends with them but as, as she's a delight and she's become a close um working companion and a friend and um you know she does fantastic things in the profession in general but yeah so she approached me um a couple of years ago now and said would I be interested in um hosting a podcast with her and another cracking person called Sophie Walsh who is a documentary maker as well as being a vet and um so we started at London Vet Show in 2019 recording live podcasts and it was I mean it was hilarious we had this little sound booth on the vet time stand it was boiling hot in there and we basically collared um people we knew and we had pre-arranged some of them but we had a lot of people just dropping by the stand and having conversations about their life as vets um they're quite short they're 10 to 15 minutes and you don't hear me so it's not a kind of interview in the way that we're having a chat it's um conversations between friends and colleagues co-workers whatever we just really wanted to create a bit of a time capsule of of what was happening in the profession it was based on the listening project which is on radio oh, four so the idea behind that i oh, love it yeah that's amazing so that was where the idea came from that ebs and i had sort of shamelessly decided that we wanted to create a veterinary listening project and um and that's what we've done and we did another little mini season during covid because we felt that it was really important to capture the kind of feeling and the experiences of vets during covid as well as and just to have a, an audio record really of of what life was like yeah. you know and obviously you chatted to us in in that um season yes. and you know you and Liz and Liz being pregnant at that time and launching your business in COVID and all that kind of stuff you know we mm -hmm. just had some really fantastic mm -hmm. stories and I guess that's what Ebs and I are all about you know whether it's me with smashing the ceiling and or through Barbara Rigme as well as it's just all about telling stories and that's what I really really love and I love so I love that too and I love that you love that and I think that's um where um all of this is so nice because it's not, I just think it's nice that we're able to have conversations on all, all our different platforms and all these different ways. And it all just, I think, really complements each other as far as it's not a, I don't think, I don't feel it's a competitive arena. No. It's a very, you know, it's just a joy for us to talk to each other on whichever one of these amazing um, uh, podcasts that we're kind of talking about. And I love, I honestly, it makes, you know, both Karen and I were like, oh, you know, um, the listening project, amazing kind of concept um, mm, and just mm. that kind of documentation of conversation and, and that point in people's life. I wanted to pick up on something actually that is interesting where you did these podcasts live. I really like the fact you can hear the hum drum of mm. the London Vet Show in the background. And actually, Karen and I, when we first started the podcast, which was just at the point of lockdown, so that was that was the beginning of our this journey. Our our initial concept was not to be at home at all. 
we actually talked about literally traveling to interview people and and recording bits of the journey and that kind of do you remember Karen we were going to do that and that just that seems like such concept. I know I know I know that was yeah. the that was the concept and here we are obviously not being able to do that but it, that was the first time that I've then thought about that again that came back into my mind I was like well we should go on the road so actually I think there's so many cool and creative ways that you can do this and whether that's out in the road or in a really hot stinky booth at the London <laughs> but I love the realness of that and the fact that you're maybe just catching people as they're doing something and it's not contrite it's it's very natural you know so I I think there was something really nice about that conversation so where do you go next then with that is that are you going to continue Borborygmy are you obviously you've got all these other cool projects that you're doing what what's the plan yeah, so um, we've got a new season of Barbara Rigman that's nearly finished, actually. Um, the sort of short-term answer with that is, yes, we will continue. And um, we've, Ebs and I have always got plans afoot for what we're doing next. Um, I'm just really, I'd say so Smashing the Ceiling had actually been on a little hiatus um, during 2020. I, I just was in 2019, um, bits snowed under, we're doing lots of other things. I was producing heaps of other uh, podcasts and kind of a bit, just a little bit felt like I needed a break from it so but I'm back with a bang now because um I've actually launched a new business which the podcast is going to be integrated into oh, wow yeah so this is so in addition to my kind of part-time work at the BHA um I think a lot of people would relate to this that work as a locum particularly on the equine side during covid really dried up um mm-hmm. and lots of people were following their own staff so they weren't really employing locums and um I decided to look into doing something digital and creative as a kind of side hustle to uh, make some money to replace my locum income, which uh, has just sort of fallen off a cliff, really. Um, So um, I've actually just launched a new business, which is a a global platform for women in podcasting. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so that's called the Skylark Collective, um, which How is cool. Is this an exclusive? Scott. Yeah, well, I mean, it's literally the website. The website literally launched on International Women's Day last week. So, um, oh, oh, that's so yeah, cool. A bit I of a new that. venture for me. And what that is um, is again, it's not particularly related to veterinary, although um, I've got a few people who I've met through the vet world who are kind of helping me out with the business in various ways, which is amazing. Um, but the aim is to um, gather up female podcasters worldwide into a, into a community collective, really, um, to support one another, um, to lift each other up and, and to just really help people. Um, I'm a really big fan of the phrase that a rising tide lifts all boats. Oh, yes. I love that. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. So yeah, so that's kind of my new venture. Um, and there's three arms to that uh, business, really, one of which is uh, membership. So there'll be kind of members only events and networking. There's going to be an awards ceremony in September this year for female led podcasts. And we're also going to have a bursary fund t- for women aged 16 to 24 to get started in podcasting as well. So what? Oh, that is, oh my goodness, that is so exciting. That is really honestly just the coolest thing. Um. I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, do we do we count because Karen's on here too? Do I get do we get to, to count as a female led podcast? Oh my god! <laughs> I'm like, damn yeah, it. So, <laughs> so it's hosted and co-hosted. So oh, the okay. the kind of uh, criteria for membership is if you, as long as you have at least one female host. Yes, Karen, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> The awards is going to be the big thing for this year. Um, so that is so. Yeah. I oh, I honestly, I'm just like bowled over with excitement, and I was thinking that's all come together just beautifully as far as 
just that amazing narrative with International Women's Day, you know, this promotion of, of, of female kind of led podcasts. And I just think that's, that's amazing. Good for you. That's really, how inspiring is that? Well, it is. And I just sort of feel like, you know, I'm, I'm a middle-class white woman and like, are you? (laughs) (laughs) I would never have guessed. (laughs) My, you wouldn't know that I am actually from Manchester. Um, but, (laughs) But no, I kind of feel like it's one of my big passions is to help raise up the voices of people who are you don't have the privileges that I do as well you know and I I really believe in kind of there's a there's intersectionality of of you know gender as well as a race and sexuality and and everything else that goes along with that and so I just really feel like I want the the business to be a place where all women of different ages can gather and and really just work together to kind of promote everyone's best interests and I love that feeling of kind of creating a community that is there to help people you know I love that and again it just comes back to this as a fundamental point of of your rising tide you know um and just you know no one needs to be left behind and I think that we again it comes you know there's no competition here it's just all about we can all be much better when we're where we're lifting each other up together for sure you know and that's that nothing good ever comes of all that other negative stuff and and and, you know and and you know I think we said a few weeks ago on social media you know blowing out someone else's candle does not make yours burn any brighter you know and that is my god that is so true and isn't it really though and I you know when so true yeah we talk about these but it really is we talk about these kind of sometimes these quotes kind of there's you know I know they can just be these throwaway comments but actually there's a huge meaning in some of that and I don't think there's anything truer honestly than that and I think particularly within the veterinary profession particularly when we're diversifying in the way that we are um it, it it can only be a better community if we kind of go on this journey together and yeah and and, and I think just be excited for each other and I've never that honestly the, the the excitement that i have now for your for for this initiative and that idea i just think it's absolutely brilliant so good for you that's amazing really truly amazing i think what you say about the can you know blowing out someone else's candle doesn't make yours burn any brighter is so true and actually i'm holding the awards mm. at the All, a place called the albright in london which is a a members club for women and their, um, the name of their club is taken from Madeleine Albright, who used to be the Secretary of State in the US. And she once mm-hmm. said that mm-hmm. there is a special place in hell reserved for women that do not help other women. Oh, I love that. And I just yes. think like, <laughs> you know, it, and that just doesn't apply to women. Like it's for everybody. You know, if you, your job for me is if you achieve any form of success or recognition is to pay it forward by helping other people and lifting them up yeah. with you. You are not on a ladder whereby you tread down others. And I just... I can't stand that kind of um, attitude whereby the kind of competition over collaboration means that you're basically doing other people down in order to succeed yourself. It's not my style and it's not my bag. And I just feel like the less we, the more we kind of promote that collaborative style of, of help is the better really. Yeah. And that really comes across. Um, So then on that note, I don't know if you can share with us um, who inspires you. Oh my god, so many people. Um <laughs> You can have more than I I used to say it can only be one, but actually people are like this person, this person. You can do as many as you like. Um I guess the people I'm inspired by are quite changeable. And I think 
I feel like I'm inspired on a daily basis by different people. You know, I'm definitely from a veterinary perspective, I've been I'm really inspired when I meet students, actually. And um, I love encouraging students. And, you know, through again, through EBS, like I do a bit of work um, helping students getting into equine. And actually two of them have just contacted me in the last 24 hours to come on placement or to get some advice, or whatever. And I'm really inspired by the kind of enthusiasm of of young people or younger people I think and it makes you sound like such a granny doesn't it but like (laughs) (laughs) all these young ones are so inspiring I know my god I'm like I'm only 37 um but yeah (laughs) but no I do I do find like spending time with people in sort of late school and university um I do find that really inspiring I find that conversation really inspiring and and actually even younger than that you know my niece and nephew are are nine and six and actually I find listening to what they're interested in really inspiring as well and like what their interests are I find very energizing and um and I really love that so yeah I guess that's and then and people I find inspiring in the public eye um I think people who do difficult things, I find really inspiring, you know, as evidenced by the fact I like to run long distances. I'm a really big um, ascriber to the phrase that you can do hard things. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that. I I do think that mindset and and your kind of mental capacities for achievement are are really to be tapped into in order to achieve difficult things. Um, You know, I definitely would never have said to you that I thought I was capable of, you know, running three marathons in three days or starting my own business or in fact just stepping back from full-time clinical practice full stop and yet you can like if you get your mind in the right place so um yeah I'm inspired I'm definitely inspired by a few different podcasters this is a really long waffly shit answer sorry um (laughs) but but yeah um I really like Adrienne Herbert who is the host of the podcast of the power hour um elizabeth day i listen to a lot i'm quite inspired by her too um and i think really acknowledging your failures uh in order to get better is something that i am all into love that the other thing we uh, like to ask is um if you were to (laughs) if you were to do it all again (laughs) including all the bits um in the south pacific and all that so if you were to to make these decisions to do veterinary medicine in the way that you've done would you would you do it the same way again do you think no probably not (laughs) brilliant honesty love it so what what do you think you would do differently I spent a lot of my 20s faffing about I mean I was just I think I look that's one of the things I'm really inspired by when I meet students now is their their laser focus on where they want to go so often and Mm. I mean I don't regret it because I really enjoyed myself, but I spent everything I earned in my 20s on travel and partying and having fun. You're meant to. (laughs) I think, I'm sorry, that sounds perfect. I don't, are you, mm, I'm not sure. Okay. I mean, fine. (laughs) But I, I more mean, I don't mean that that's a bad thing. I more mean that I wasn't very concentrated on where I wanted my career to be going. And so warm. I know and I guess in a way like I, I very much ascribe to the the Baz Luhrmann sunscreen thing of you know I'm holding oh, on yeah. to some of the most interesting people reach 40 and still don't really know what they want to be doing so that's kind of one of my mantras but and I think that kind of ties into quite a lot about my my personality is you know I have tr- traditionally been quite a chaotic person like I'm not terribly well organized and you know, I've definitely been somebody who goes with the flow rather than ever having any sort of plan. Um, and I do tend to just 
live by my gut quite a lot you know if I get an opportunity I usually just say yes that is very much how I've lived my career but with hindsight would I do it differently I I say that I would I don't know if I would but I think I would probably try to be a little bit more targeted with what I was doing and where I was going rather than just Mm -hmm. making some very um ad hoc decisions which is what I have done through my career so far and it sounds like you might still be doing but anyway (laughs) (laughs) I know no you're you're laser focused now you're laser well yeah I mean Um, I definitely you know I'm very fortunate that my job with the BHA I really love and you know is an enabler for me and you know you could say that I've curated that myself through the work that I've done but I'm very fortunate to have a job that I enjoy with people that are absolutely brilliant um, that gives me the time on the side to pursue things that I'm interested in. Um, So, you know, I'm very, very fortunate in that sense now. But also very talented. So you mustn't forget that. Well, thanks, my darling. Um, That's very kind of me to say. (laughs) Um, So just to finish up, you know, you, you, it was interesting. You said that you've got a real sort of inspiration. Uh, you're inspired by students and younger people. If there are students and younger people listening in the profession what would you say to them what piece of advice would you give them well this might be a slightly ironic piece of advice given that I've just had a slightly weird look back on my 20s but I would say don't don't rush it and also don't worry about the future (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, I think also like I one thing I look back on when I, you know, what I tell, what would I tell my 18 year old self is I thought that everything needed to be perfect when I was 18. And, and I thought that everything that I had to have everything done by the time I was, you know, 23 or whatever. And actually, you know, I, my career has been somewhat um, wiggly, shall we say, mm. but, you know, I do think there is a bit of a joy in that for me anyway, because that is the kind of person that I am. But I think um, I spent a lot of time panicking about perfectionism Mm. when I was a student and certainly in my new grad um, era, which I realize is not um, a groundbreaking thing to say when you're a vet, because a lot of us suffer with that. And um, but I definitely had a lot of sleepless nights and, you know, stayed awake worrying about things. And I definitely I really subscribe to a piece of advice I was given early in my career, which was 90 percent of animals will get better no matter Amen what you to do. That. So uh, that is... I, try to, I, I try to live by that one <laughs> um, because I just think it releases some of the worry. No, you're absolutely right. I think in it, the perfectionism thing, I think you make a good comment um, that it's not that's not new news, but it needs to be said because ultimately that is a massively ongoing problem, you know, so it's still, it's still a problem today. So no, it's an important thing. It's a really important thing to say. Yeah. And I think also the one thing I do, and the reason I I enjoy, you know, hanging out with students and, and new grads is I think that helping people to understand that it's okay to fail and it's okay to make mistakes is a really, really vital thing to do. And it's something that I wasn't really privy to anyone helping me down that path. And, you know, I think the more we can talk about, um resilience and really accepting and embracing failure is something that I think is really useful and I think if people want to hear about that I'm going to do a massive shameless plug sorry um there's a there is an episode of smashing the ceiling which is an interview with Jamie a woman called Jamie Coleman who's a trauma surgeon in the in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And she talks about M&M rounds that they have over there and about how she has made failure her friend and um 
and she's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant talking about it. She's a writer in Forbes and she does a lot of speaking and stuff. And she speaks really candidly about how when you're a surgeon, your mistakes lead to people dying. And she's amazing on that. And I just found that really inspirational because actually I think I was so worried about making a mistake that that I probably held myself back in lots of ways that I, with hindsight, I didn't need to. But you know, it's, everything's a journey and, and you, your confidence grows as you get older. And unfortunately, that is just one of the um, awful things about being young, isn't it? Like that you're often, you don't have the knowledge and the experience, so you don't have yeah. the confidence. And I think the more we can help people with yeah. that, the better. Amazing. And on that note, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Um, you may not realise it, but you, I think you're very inspiring. And I think um, we just can't wait to see how things develop with this amazing new venture of yours and we're just yeah we're very um honored that you took the time to speak to us today so thank you very much oh no thank you thank you guys i've had such a ball and as always a massive thank you to all of you for listening we really truly appreciate the support to learn more about vtx and what we do then please head over to our website which is www.vtx-cpd.com or head over to our social media platforms where there's lots of fun and interactive content. We are really excited that our next lot of podcasts in April are going to be dermatology focused. We're doing a dermatology takeover supported by Zoetis. So please join us for all things itchy skin. Thank you so much again for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye.